Chronic illness can be an all-consuming experience. I have suffered with chronic illness for over 20 years, and there is no doubt managing a chronic condition can be a full-time job with no perks or time off. It affects every facet of your life, but you are not alone. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments and coping strategies they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to I Am Not My Pain podcast. Living and coping with chronic illness and chronic pain is incredibly challenging and impacts every facet of your life. But what if you're also transgender? What additional challenges do you face? And how do those challenges affect your medical care and your mental health? My guest and chronic illness warrior for today is Alex. Alex is transgender. He identifies as transmasculine and non-binary and uses the pronouns he, they. From a young age, Alex managed a multitude of chronic illnesses and disabilities, and his life has been far from easy. He was diagnosed with a genesis of the corpus callosum, a rare disorder that is present at birth. It is characterized by a partial or complete absence of an area of the brain that connects the two cerebral hemispheres. The symptoms can be slow development, hydrocephalus, non-progressive mental retardation, impaired hand-eye coordination, and visual or auditory hearing memory impairment, and more. He's also been diagnosed with a condition called Dandy-Walker syndrome, a congenital brain malformation involving the cerebellum, and the fluid-filled spaces around it that coordinates movement. He additionally manages blindness in his right eye, arthritis, chronic pain, a nonverbal learning disorder, depression, anxiety, PTSD, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and honestly, a lot more that we can't list them all, right? But as someone who understands disability and its many struggles, Alex works hard to support the disabled community as a disability resource specialist, as well as manage his symptoms. But Alex faces another huge hurdle. He must navigate a healthcare system that doesn't accommodate or truly comprehend his needs as a transgender person. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and could you please share more of your story and kind of the symptoms you currently manage? Absolutely. So I was born with many of my disabilities, and I really had to learn how to survive and navigate the world right from the start. I always knew that I was different from other people, whether that was made obvious by how they treated me or just a gut feeling that I had. Um, and learning how to adapt really wasn't easy, especially as a kid. I started to attend an LGBTQ social group for youth uh, called Nagley when I was a teenager. And I came out as trans when I turned 18, which is also when I left home for the first time and when I took control of my health care for the first time. Mm -hmm. And once again, from there, I had to learn how to navigate the world and figure out who my support systems were while weeding out people that either didn't support me or who caused me harm. I learned early into the journey that my medical records were scarce, often inaccurate, and that in order to be taken seriously by new doctors, I had to tell my story every time I went in in order to get the help I needed to figure out exactly what was going on with me and how to treat myself and how to move forward. Mm. 
learning who the helpers were was huge and super stressful and it still is in a lot of different ways. All the groundwork that I've been doing has been crucial in managing my symptoms. I'm currently shopping for a new neurologist to figure out what aging with my conditions is going to look like, meeting with eye doctors to figure out how to keep and improve the eyesight that I do have, and I'm working with a therapist to help me with my trauma and my mental health. Through this, I also work full-time as a disability resource specialist. It's amazing. And I can't, you know, we all have to kind of navigate our symptoms to a point, like we learn how to do it, navigate the medical system, navigate our symptoms. Like, I mean, there's just so much adjustment, but to top that off with the age you are first when it happens, you know, cause I was 18 when I got sick too. And that's kind of like when you're discovering who you are anyway. And so you had that, then you had your sexual identity and all those things going on at once. So that had to be incredibly challenging. And the fact that you have used that to help others is, is awesome. I, I just think that's incredible. So I really, I would love to know what are the biggest challenges you face being a chronically, being chronically ill and transgender at the same time? Definitely. So some of the biggest challenges that I face while managing both of those intersections is being taken seriously and also a lot of struggles with medical personnel not knowing how to treat me and constantly battling with my insurance company. So Often new doctors will first jump into my transition being a potential cause of a symptom that may be unrelated that's popped up without fail. Once they see my record and now figure out how I identify, there's always that, oh, that comes before questions about um, my transition. It's like I've come in here for a cough, not to talk about my gender identity. And yet it always comes up. And I've heard pretty often the whole, if you were a man, we'd treat you this way. If you were a woman, we'd treat you that way. And so we're trying to figure out what to do since you aren't typical. And that's a line that I hear. That's what they say. That's crazy. Definitely. And then you add insurance into the mix and it's hit or miss whether what I need is going to be covered either because of service codes, what the doctors enter, and also, honestly, the biases of the insurance company. How I'm treated from start to finish really depends on who I'm seeing and how the conversation goes at any given time. Wow. You know, we I, I've talked about this on the podcast many times about, you know, how I wish we could do sensitivity training for so many different areas. I mean, I've had people on here where they're overweight and you go to the doctor and you're going for a completely different problem, but they always bring up your weight. You know, they always go, oh, and you need to lose 40 pounds. And you're like, I'm just here for a cough. Like I'm here for fever. Like, why do we have to get into it every single time? So I can only imagine for you how that is. That that just seems very intense. And then as you are already transitioning, as you're already dealing with your issues you know, trying to figure out your way. And then you have this happen to you. I mean, how on earth do you manage your mental health with all those challenges kind of stacked against you? It is definitely not easy. Um, it can be really discouraging when an appointment goes badly or if I don't feel heard and I have to start all over again. I do a couple of things that have really helped me through every appointment that I've had, a couple of different strategies. The first thing I do is I really give myself space to process what just happened, good or bad. Even though I take notes in all of my appointments, I still get very overwhelmed and frustrated when I have to take in so much new information, 
come down from the adrenaline of advocating for and usually defending myself. And I tend to pick apart kind of everything that's been said or everything that happened in the interaction. With all of that, it's so important that I process all of that before I make any decisions about what to do next. Uh, they can be really draining and emotionally charged. So I want to make sure that I've come down and given myself the processing time, whether that's a few minutes or whether that's a month to figure out what the new strategy is going to be. The other thing that I do um, is I stay really organized. I learned that that is key with my complex history. I document everything. I line up my appointments so they make sense, so I can use information from the last appointment to go into the next one. I make myself cheat sheets with my conditions, symptoms, and what I've done to treat myself and what I want. This way, when I get into a doctor's office, I can just hand them the paper. Um, I keep a copy of it and I can answer questions without having to stress myself out or remember anything. So smart. Thank you. It helps to keep the doctors on topic too. Um, if they stray on topic, I can say, hey, you know, this is what I came in for. And it's really helped me take control of my appointments. Oh, no, I love that. And I, I did the same thing. And it's so helpful because even though I have the records to back it up, I'd always come in with my own like summary of here's what this treatment was. This is what happened. You know, did this treatment. This is what happened. And the doctors loved it. I mean, they were just like, oh, this is very helpful. And it just, it, it's like a little, like you said, a cheat sheet of like, okay, well, this is what she's done. And I said, look, if you want to see the records, I have them here too. But I know with records, they're very long and lengthy. And so I'm like, you have the option, but but it was it was night and day in the care you received too, in that sense, because the more organized you are, which is not everyone's forte, but you kind of learn to be that when you're chronically ill. It's just you have to be or you really you may not get the care that you need. Um, but that's amazing uh, that you do that. And I like the time thing, too. And so important to to managing an illness, but also for you to take that kind of time you need to process which isn't easy because sometimes you want that treatment right away and you're yeah. just like, I want to get this done, but you know that your brain and things need the time to, to process it and you don't want to rush into stuff just to do them. But it's hard because you get so desperate at certain points with your condition that you're like, I'll try anything, you know, and, and sometimes trying it, anything is a bad, bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And if you go into doctor's offices looking too desperate too, they might not treat you in the way that you need. So if you're going to have 15 minutes, you know, with a doctor, I figure I got to make it count. No, it's, it's true. You kind of learn how to approach the doctor in a way it's, you know, and how you, how you appear to the doctor and being calm and, and collected. And, but that's hard sometimes when you are very anxious about the appointment already, because you're hopeful and you're scared. And there's so many emotions that go through your body. You're just like, I don't. And so it's very hard to stay calm and focused. And with that doctor, I mean, I remember I have a tendency to talk fast when I'm nervous. And uh, I mean, my mom used to come with me to some of the appointments when I was younger, and she'd look at me like, slow down, lady. And I just go, blah, 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 blah. And the doctor just look at me like, whoa, that's, that's, that's too fast. So it's, it's understandable. But having you on is, is so important because I know there's so many chronically ill transgender people out there. I do. 
And you have to face hurdles that we don't face on a normal basis. I mean, we do face bias and things like that in different ways, but you face those biases and then you get to face more. And, you know, since you get to come on and, you know, kind of talk about it, which is incredible, uh, if you could, you know, speak to the doctors and the nurses and the hospital staff, you know, what would you share about treating a patient who's transgender? So if I could share one thing with medical staff, it would be to remember why you work with patients. You might know a lot about the body, but as a patient, I live in this body every day and how mine works usually won't match your knowledge. We have to work together and working with me and hearing me out makes me feel safe enough to open up to your ideas and your advice because I feel seen. And I've been physically and emotionally harmed by medical staff who choose not to listen. And that makes me automatically come into a doctor's office feeling like doctors aren't on my side and that I have to defend myself when we can change that together. To take the minute or two to really hear you is so important to feeling validated, to feeling safe. So, you know, that's things and to be respectful of what you choose to be called and what you choose to, you know, to be addressed. That has to be something. I mean, when because hospital staff can't and then on the computer screen, I'm sure it says that you are a certain uh, gender. And then how do they, you know, treat you from that? And, you know, depending on a person's beliefs and everything, you got that on top of it. So that has to be really intense when you go to a doctor or especially like a hospital setting. I, I bet it has to be absolutely a little, little intense, but I mean, you have to be very secure in yourself, I guess, to really, you know, handle all this. I mean, you know, cause that's just a lot. It's, you know, it's hard enough to manage a chronic illness by itself. So, you know, adding everything else. I know you've been managing chronic illness, as you said, since birth, really, and you've kind of navigated this world. You know, how do you think managing chronic illness so young affected how you manage your conditions now? I think that especially when I was younger and just kind of starting out, it taught me that doctors aren't necessarily always right. And maybe parents don't have their kids' best interests in mind. And the best way for me to navigate through all of that is through informed decision making and self-advocacy. I think that being in tune with my body, um, asking a million questions and not being afraid to challenge something that I feel is wrong for me are all things that have come out of so much trauma and lack of control. And I'm really glad that I had that kind of fire in me from a young age to question everything and make changes that would positively impact me um, as soon as I could identify that there needed to be a change. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very brave and very difficult to do. So incredible you did it. And, you know, it's never easy to to do something like that and to advocate for yourself because you get so exhausted and you run that gambit, but you had to have that fire in you to keep fighting and to keep finding answers. And, and really that's what you need when you're chronically sick because you have to keep, and, and granted, you got to take breaks. I mean, you got to take care of yourself and take those pauses, like you said, but 
But yes, you do have to want to self-advocate for yourself and you have to kind of know yourself and your body and say, okay, what I'm feeling is valid and real and I've got to find the answer. Even if this doctor disagrees, you know, I'll go to a different doctor. And sometimes that's easier said than done with insurance and everything else. So, and I can't imagine like just side note here on insurance, you know, I've had to battle insurance a couple, well, a lot, you know, for different medications and treatments and things like that. But I can't imagine having to do it as often as you probably have to there. It's just the worst, you know, and the doctor does quite a bit of it for you, at least some, but then you got to be the one to follow up because those doctors don't, I mean, they don't have enough staff or whatever to fight it. So they just kind of do the one time off, you know, thing. And then you're like, oh, hello, um, me again, me again. I'm going to keep bugging you until you, till you get this figured out. And uh, yeah, there's a long way to go with insurance. That is for sure. You know, to have a disability resource specialist on the show, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, you know, your top suggestions for finding help and resources when you're disabled. I mean, I don't, I don't get very many resource specialists on the show. And I know that you live in a certain state and I'm sure state by state has different things, but what would you recommend to someone who, you know, maybe is newly disabled and trying to find their resources? So I think that if you're a person with disabilities or if you know of people with disabilities, I really recommend reaching out to your local independent living center. They're in every state in the U.S. and there's often multiple in every state in the U.S. They're really easy to find in a Google search and the things they can do for you, they can help you find resources, work on self-advocacy skills, they can help you uh, learn how to do applications um, and so much more. I also recommend asking anyone who is on your medical team what they know about what you need. For example, they might know of resources or programs that could be helpful um, or strategies that might help you out. And really, lastly, and most importantly, I recommend practicing how to tell your story. Once I learned how to tell my story to whoever needed to hear it, I was really able to nail down what I needed and how to get it. Ooh, that's a that's really good. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, the way you tell your story really does hit differently for people. And if you can tell it in such a way, you know, you can get the best information out of it. And that goes for doctors as well, even if you're not looking for resources, you know, just to be able to tell your story in a concise way, but that makes sense and it's logical and I would say that support is everywhere and persistence is key. Self-advocacy is so important and working to find the right support, the right doctor, um, whatever it might be, is so worth it. The right support system, it, it makes all the difference, <laughs> whether it, you know, medical, personal, you know, to have the right support system, it just helps us survive and keep going and keep fighting and keep looking. And you do have some very rare, you know, conditions that you, you know, what are the, like, what symptoms do you have to, I mean, other than the blindness, which I know, and then you have, so what kind of symptoms do you manage on like a daily basis? I'm just curious. Definitely. Um, lots of neurological symptoms, lots of sensory issues. I was actually uh, just a couple of weeks ago diagnosed with um, autism and also ADHD. So I'm navigating new diagnoses and 
all of my conditions tend to have similar symptoms. And so with that, they're trying to tease out kind of what's what and giving me verbiage so that I can bring it to doctors and the insurance companies so that they can figure out what symptoms go where and how to treat me. Yeah, that's got to be difficult. Yeah, because there is, there's so many conditions that have similar side effects, similar, I mean, it's just similar symptoms, I should say, not side effects, but, um, but yeah, and it's just, it gets so convoluted because our bodies are one thing. And so all we know is like, I'm having issues with blank, but I don't know which disease is causing it, (laughs) which condition is causing this said issue. So, I mean, that makes complete sense trying to un- wind that and unfurl that like it's just it's it's a lot of work it's like a full-time job all on its own and then you work full-time too so I guess since I have you I mean what do you think I mean I always ask people that work that are you know quote disabled as well as you know deal with chronic you know illnesses you know how are you able to do that because I mean a lot of people can't I mean there are a lot of people I work but it's you know flexibility for me you know is key with my job to have that flexibility. But for you, you know, what helps you to work? Reasonable accommodations and having an employer who has been really supportive. And actually, I've been working with my employer for, it'll be six years this year, the longest job I've ever had. And they're the only place that I've worked that has honored my need for reasonable accommodations and who has been super flexible. So I had to do a lot of research into what my reasonable accommodation should be um, and how would they support me? Are they reasonable? Yeah, that's, that's definitely a huge one right there is having the right employer. So that, that understands and that can, you know, accommodate, but you also have to be willing to ask for it. You know, I've met a lot of people that it takes a long time for them to be like, okay, I need these accommodations. You know, I need, I need help. Um, and which is totally natural because you want to be able to do it. And, uh, so it takes a little, it takes a little time to, to get there. Plus I'm sure the people that you help and your clients appreciate that you are also disabled and understand and get it, you know, really understand it. Exactly. There have been many times where um, I've gotten off of the phone with insurance or another service for myself. And I've been like talking with my consumers and I've said, you know, oh, by the way, I was talking to my insurance last week and I asked them this question. Here's your answer. And it applies to me, too. So that element of what we call peer counseling is really supportive to the community and the consumers we serve. Yeah. When I love that you also are coming on this podcast as well as, you know, speaking about all these issues, because that's huge. That's, that makes it have a voice. And and so I think this is incredible that, you know, you came on and, you know, I really do appreciate it. I mean, it really is amazing. And, and I think will help a lot of people because, you know, I think that this is something that needs to be discussed and heard and understood. And I mean, the medical community, I hope here's this. And I think the number one thing it comes down to is is listening and respect and just respecting as as a human, you know, not whatever we are, but a human being and and then listening and you know, that listening ear and being validated in that way makes everything different. It makes how we approach our care different and 
you know, I know it's not always easy to do that, I'm sure, as a doctor, but it makes all the difference for the care that we receive and the fact that we trust and we feel heard and we'll be more inclined to listen um, when, when we are heard. So it's, it's definitely a big, a big deal. I think more people speak up and talk about this, the more it becomes normalized and the more we can get some changes made in our medical system. And that would be amazing. So thank you again, Alex, for coming on and talking about it. Thank you so much again for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you to all my listeners for tuning in. And I hope you tune in next week to hear another amazing warrior. And remember, you are not alone and you are not your pain. Like the show? Please subscribe and leave a review. Or to learn more about the show or how to become a guest, simply visit our website at www.iamnotmypainpodcast.org. That is iamnotmypainpodcast.org. Your story matters. We look forward to hearing from you. Hi. This is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle, a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations. To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose.